Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're blessed by this podcast, please subscribe. Once you do, you'll be able to stay up to date with all our latest messages. This week, Harry Walker will be looking at the future of believers and unbelievers found in Revelation 14. Good evening, everyone. Wow, it's good to be here. Three Sundays ago, we were talking about Resurrection Sunday coming up, remember? Yeah, what a great time we had. We hit uh, Palm Sunday, then uh, we had our Seder dinner. This place was filled up with tables and people for Seder dinner. Then we had Good Friday, and then Sunday came. Resurrection Sunday. It was a great, great day. Hey, wasn't Chris and Kelly and the whole worship team just absolutely fantastic? Yeah, we can give them a hand. You bet, you bet. Resurrection Sunday, for those of you that don't know, let me tell you just how good God is and how he works in the ministry. 74 people gave their life to Christ here at 412 that night. Amen. Amen. want to welcome you all here. Welcome the online that is watching. We appreciate that. Let's bow and pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for allowing us another day and another time to come and worship you and together. And I just thank you, Lord, for your word and how it speaks to us. And Lord, tonight I pray that you would soften our hearts and open our eyes and ears to your truth. And Lord, help us to understand what you would have us do for your glory. Help us, Lord, not only to be hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. Help us, Lord, to have a stronger faith. Your word says that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So I ask you to lead us and guide us through your word tonight. Ask you to bless tonight's service, and that it may bring honor and praise and glory to you. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 All right, so tonight's title is this, The Unbelievers and Believers' Future, Death and Rewards. That's tonight's title. So let me start off by saying this. If the Lord tarries his coming back, each and every one of us is going to die. Each and every one of us. Whether we want to or not, we are going to die. One out of one of us are going to die. However, the question is this. Not are we going to die, nor is it when are we going to die, not even is it how we're going to die. That's a given. It's going to happen. But here's a question for each and every one of us to ponder. The question is this, where are we going after we die? Where are we going? I heard of a tombstone in Indiana Cemetery that had this epitaph written on it. It said this, Stranger, when you passed me by, as you are now, so was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare your death and follow me. Now, it wasn't long until another passerby was coming by that tombstone. And he wrote this underneath that statement. He said, he wrote this. I am not content until I know which way you went. Yeah. Now, the moral of the story of that is this. Be very careful who you are following. Very careful. 
You need to know that. You see, the person that wrote that reply was absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. It, the important thing about death is not death itself, but what follows our death. What's our destination? If you really think about it, there's only really two ways to die. One way is you can die in the Lord, or you can die outside of the Lord. In other words, you can die saved, or you can die lost. A child of God, or a child of Satan. So as we continue our Sunday evening uh, messages on Bible prophecy and end times, take your Bibles out. Turn to the last book, Revelation chapter 14. We're going to be in verses 6 through 13 tonight. And as you're doing that, let me give you just a little bit of context. In chapters 12 and 13, we've seen darkness attempt to win over light. In chapter 12, verse 9, we find where it says, The great dragon was cast out to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And then as you go a few more verses down to verse 12, you find that it continues on saying, For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows time is short. Let me tell you something. Satan knows the Bible better than most of us in this room, if not all of us in this room. And he knows the end of the book and how it ends. Believe me. He knows what his destination is. He knows what's going to happen. He also knows the same thing we know, that we don't know the day or the hour, neither does he. But he does know what we also know, that we watch the seasons. Remember we talked about that three Sundays ago. So does he. He sees that. He sees it. So we need to be very, very careful. We need to be very careful. And then in, we find in chapter 13, Satan, his political leader and his world leader, Religious leader has attempted a coup on the God of creation. And now in chapter 14, we're reminded that God is still in control, though. He's large and he's in charge. And here in chapter 14 of Revelation, uh, we find the three angels coming upon the stage of the drama that's happening during the tribulation time. And they begin to announce the things that are going to take place. And that's where we pick up. In verse 6. In verse 6, I'm going to read verse 6 and 7, follow along with me. Flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And 7 continues saying this, With a loud voice, fear God and give glory to Him. For the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Now, there are really two schools of thought on these two verses in verses 6 and 7. Some believe that this is a final worldwide appeal to all people to recognize the true God. And by doing this, no one will have the excuse of never hearing God's truth. Here's the deal with truth. We love the truth when it enlightens us, don't we? Yeah, we say, yeah, preach it, brother. Yeah, I believe it. Go ahead. But what happens when that truth convicts us? We don't have quite the same attitude, do we? And can I tell you that during this time of the tribulation, 
many will not take heed to the truth when they hear it then either. Many will not. However, we also see that the others believe that this announcement is judgment rather than an appeal. They believe the people of the world have had their chance to proclaim their allegiance to God, and now God's great judgments are coming upon them and are about to begin. But really, no matter how you fall on this, I believe that we all can agree that the message of these angels that we're reading about to the people during this tribulation time is that they must worship God. They have to. And they must not fall for the Antichrist or his demons. Can't fall for his shenanigans. Now the Bible says that they must not take the mark of the beast. And they must give glory to God who is on the throne. Why is that? It's because God is sovereign. He's sovereign. And God alone is the only one that is deserving of worship. Certainly not the Antichrist, not at all. Something else that I noticed in verse 7, maybe you did too. It's not merely the day of the judgment. It says, but now is the hour of judgment. In other words, time is close. Time is near. It is short. So this message is providing a last chance of repentance. If we continue on to verse 8, we find the second angel following and saying, Babylon is fallen, fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Something I want to bring to your attention in this verse 8. You know, we live in the greatest nation in the world, don't we? Amen. And we are always really the good guys, aren't we? We're the ones that wear the white hat in the world. We really are. But I want to draw your attention to what it said in verse 8. All nations, all nations have drank the wine of the wrath of her fornication. I'm afraid during this time, because I'm asked over and over again, where is America in end times? And I'm sorry to say, that I don't think we're wearing the white hat during these times. Praise God that we as Christians will be gone. But when it says all nations, all means what? All. All. So here we find the first mention of Babylon in the Acropolis here, but it's no by no means the last mention of it. You see, it gathers up to itself in one brief preliminary statement all that is later found in chapter 17 and also the following chapter in 18. In chapter 17, Babylon is referred to as the great prostitute. And in chapter 19, Babylon is referred to as a city. Its power, its prosperity, and its fall. Something I noticed and I thought that was interesting was the angel says, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. Says it two times, two times. That phrase is, is repeated for emphasis and for a reason. It's also in the past tense because God speaks of events that are to happen in the future just as though they've already happened. And we can ask ourselves this, well, why does God do that? It's for the emphasis, of course, but it's also the fact that when God said something, we can depend on it happening. It's just like when God says, 
Jesus is going to come again, we can count on it. He's going to come again. It's going to happen. No doubt about it. And now Babylon was the name of both the evil city, the immoral empire, a world center for idol worship. We find in 2 Kings chapter 25 and also 2 Chronicles in chapter 36, it tells us of how Babylon ransacked Jerusalem and carried the people of Judah into captivity. So really the bottom line here to Babylon is that it represents earthly power and corruption. Corruption. That brings us to verses 9 and 10 of chapter 14, and I'm going to read them from the Bible, so follow along with me. Verses, verse 9 and 10, 9 begins saying this, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. This angel's announcement is made perfectly clear. It's really short, it's blunt, and it's plain. With all the alternative, unmistakably, makes it very clear. This angel wants to have his message heard. This message is also a sense of urgency. It's announced in a loud voice. If anyone worships a beast and his image, he receives his mark on his forehead or his hand. You see, those who worship the beast and accept the mark and operate according to the world economic system and ultimately will face God's judgment. And we all know that our world, even today, values money, power, and pleasure over God's leadership, doesn't it? Many people today, they absolutely chase power. They chase pleasure. They chase money. Full steam ahead, with blinders on. And those that worship the beast can expect undying torment from an angry God. Angry. Take a look at verse 11. Verse 11 says this, And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. The bottom line to that is this. The ultimate result of sin is the unending separation from God, and that separation is the ultimate torment and misery. That's it. We as believers, we will be with God. But those that are unbelievers will not be. Will not be with God. And that is what it's talking about. There was a man by the name of Walter Cooper. He was C.S. Lewis's personal secretary. He laughed one time when he read the following engraved in, uh, inscription. This is what it said. Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. True. However, C.S. Lewis did not share in that laughter. He responded in a very soberly way. He said this in reply. He said, I'm sure he wishes now that was true. Ooh, that brings it home, doesn't it? 
There is a place to go. It's not a no place. And we know that place. You see, many have died and then learned the truth. And by that time, it's too late, isn't it? There is no second chances after death. None whatsoever. Okay, so we've looked at six verses. We have went over all the doom and gloom of the unbelievers. So are you ready to hear what the believers are in store for? How about some God's encouragement for you and I? Amen. Amen. Verse 12 says this. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So now we find us turning from the sinner to the saint. And these are the ones that are marked by faith in the Lord and also faithfulness to the law, the commandments. We find encouragement to remain faithful. We need that. Through every, and the reason why is with our faith grows through each and every one of our trials, doesn't it? You bet it does. Each and every one of our trials and every time that we go through some type of persecution, our faith rubber band stretches a little bit farther. It says, it assures us that the Lord brings us through one thing, and then when we go in and we enter another, we say, you know what? God's never let me down. He's took me through it. He'll do it again, and he'll get me through this. And that's what we find here. That's what we find here. And we can do this with God's promise by trusting in Jesus and obeying the commandments that we find in his word. You see, the secret to enduring is to trust and to be obedient. And when we are, God will give us the patience to endure even the small trials that we come into our own lives and what we face on a daily basis. Let's move on to verse 13. Verse 13 says this, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. And now on, yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Do you guys see the three promises there? Do you see them? Yeah, John was told to write three promises. And those promises weren't only for John, but they're for you and I today. And here's the first one. Blessed. If you have your Bible, underline it. Blessed is the first one. The second promise that we find is that we're going to have rest. And then the third is this, that our works will follow us. So let's take a look at those three promises one at a time. First, we will be blessed. Do you know what the word blessed means? It means to have an inward joy and satisfaction. And let me tell you something. Do not confuse the word blessed or joy with happy. Two completely different words. Let me tell you this. We've all been happy about something at one time or another, haven't we? And maybe a day later, a week later, a month later, a year later, this is the worst thing that ever happened to us. Right? Happened to me. Ask a boat owner the best two days in his life. The day he bought it and the day he sold it. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Sooner or later. Sooner or later. On the most part. On the most part. It's true. So don't be confused. Don't confuse happiness with joy because happiness is temporal. Temporal. 
But joy in the Lord, it's eternal. Forever. Eternal. It is. A Christian who dies in the Lord has joy to be with Jesus our Lord and Savior. Second, heaven with Jesus is a place of rejoicing. It's a place of rejuvenation. Last Tuesday, most of us were here for a memorial service. It was big. The place was packed out for Maria. As I met with her husband that morning, I took him, I hugged him, I prayed with him, and I said, Joseph, as much as Maria loved you and everyone in the family, her church family and others, can I tell you that she would not come back in a second if offered a chance? He agreed. He agreed. He agreed. Here on earth, as we serve God at times, we get exhausted, don't we? We get tired. But God's going to give us a body that never tires. Believe it or not, never going to get tired. We're not going to get exhausted. We're not going to have aches and pains. When I take a shower, I, gotta take a, I have to take a can of WD-40 with me just to spray the, you know, to get the joints all working. Some of you, listen, don't laugh at me. Some of you guys have Zerk fittings. Some of you do. I've seen the way you walk. I know. I've seen it. But listen, before we go any further, though, I do want to clear up one thing. I want to make this perfectly clear. And it's about number three, where our works follow us. I want to make it perfectly clear. Our works or our good deeds have nothing to do about obtaining our salvation. Jesus did the work on the cross. Amen? He paid the price. Nothing we can do. Can't work our way there. We can't buy our way there. Jesus already did it. He worked, his, worked our way there and He paid the price for our way there. And Paul makes this salvation slash works issue very, very clear. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. 8 says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is a gift of God. 9. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And we all know when we've heard those verses over and over again, but we need to be reminded of them. But you know what? Verse 10 is a left out verse of those two. And verse 10, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, pulls Revelation 14, 13 really together, saying this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Exactly. You see, that's the way it is. Salvation, then service, or works. Works always follow. Always follow. It's because of our salvation we have good works. We are a new creation when we accept Christ. The old dies, correct? Yeah. In other words, our good works are a byproduct of our salvation. A byproduct of it. Let me prove to you just how important to Jesus that we truly understand this third promise that our works follow us. Jesus closes out the book of Revelation in chapter 22, verse 12, giving us two promises. One is that He's coming quickly. It's an important fact that He's telling us. 
And what's the other fact and what's the other promise he puts right with us? Puts it right with that same verse. To give everyone according to his work. Here within eight chapters in the book of Revelation, we find two references to works of believers. Can I tell you, it's important to Jesus Christ. So while it's true that money, fame, belongings can't be taken with us from this life, God's people can produce fruit that survives even our death. Even our death. Two questions are this. What is our future after death and what are our rewards? Well, I listed eight. I listed eight things to look forward to. First one. We will be carried safely into heaven, transferred quicker than a blink of the eye into God's heavenly kingdom. Wow. Wow. Think about it. Think about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says this. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wow. You see, when we see and we face death, God will transfer us from this world and within the same moment, in a split second, we will be transferred to God's kingdom. How fast is that, by the way? Pretty quick, right? Well, it's been said that a blinking of the eye or a twinkling of the eye takes about 11 one-hundredths of a second. That's quick. Boom. We're there. So in 11 one-hundredths of a second, from a citizen of this world to being a citizen of heaven itself, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we can give God praise. Number two that I wrote down. We will receive eternal life. Eternal life. Yes, we as believers have already inherited eternal life. And God has given us eternal life through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as a gift for what? Our belief. Our belief. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 says this, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. What we have to remember is this, that this earth is not our eternal home. It's not. It's not our eternal home. Not at all. You see, we are only a temporary residence of this place. We're just passing through on our way home to God's heavenly kingdom. I mean, even us today, we're still not living, most of us anyway, there may be some, but most of us are not still living in the house that we grew up in. We've transferred from different homes. Well, we've got another home waiting for us. And Jesus had promised us that other home. Yes, yes. You know it. You know, just in case you didn't know, I've got some breaking news also for you. That what we have right now is not the ideal life. It's not the ideal life. And not the fullest or the best life that was intended for you and I. Not at all. Not at all. It is certainly not the life that was meant to be for us. However, the life that God gives us is the fullest and the best life possible. You see, the reason why is God's life is perfect. 
perfect in both quality, perfect in time because it's eternal. It's eternal. It's a life that overflows with an abundance of everything that is both good and perfect and continues without end. So really the bottom line is this. A perfect life is with permanent purpose, permanent fulfillment, permanent completion, and permanent assurance. And guess what? We get all four of those from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Every one of them. Every one of them. Number three, we will receive a glorious new body, a transformed, incorruptible body. Incorruptible. Man, yeah, can't wait. I hear that. I can't wait either. Man. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. 20 closes out saying this, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then 21 picks it up, who will transform our lowly bodies. Oh, by the way, lowly means of low position. So we could really say, who will transform our low position body that it may be conformed into His glorious body. Wow. And then Paul continues saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 44, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Man, get rid of this natural thing. Let's get rid of it. Let's get into that spiritual body. So as I said three Sundays ago, as believers, we are to be focused upon the return of Jesus Christ. To look fervently for the coming of Lord Jesus to take us home. But because of that, we should also be focused upon the glorious body that we are about to receive when we are with Jesus Christ. You see, right now, our bodies are imperfect. They're inadequate. And they're coming up well short of what you and I want them to be, right? Anybody got exactly what they want? I didn't think so. Otherwise, we got to talk about that sin line. You see, right now, our bodies are all of that. So why are our bodies inadequate? Because they're corruptible. They're aging. They're deteriorating. They're dying because they're weak and they're subject to mental and physical illness and injury and death. And they're subject to sin. And because our bodies offer us no hope whatsoever of lasting beyond a few short years compared to eternity. I don't care how long you live, it's a really that quick, that quick compared to eternity. So just imagine an unchanging, glorious body. And you say, well, Harry, how is that all going to happen? Well, it's going to happen because God, Jesus Christ, can make it possible. It's by the power of God, the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, is able to subdue all things under cross, including giving us a new body. Count on it. It can happen. And it will happen to each and every one of us. All right, the next five things that we're going to look at are these. We're going to look forward to what rewards are given to believers. So these five rewards are given by Jesus himself. He gives us to us on what is called the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat. And that's a message for another time, but we're going to talk about the rewards that are coming. So number four is this. We will receive the crown of righteousness. Yeah. 
Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteousness judge, will give to me on that day, and not only me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Did you see our promise in that? Did you see it? But also to all. It wasn't only intended for Paul. It's intended for you and I. It's intended for you and I. We are to receive the crown for one reason and one reason only, because we have given our life to Jesus Christ and committed our lives in at least three of these ways. I wrote three of the ways down. One is this, to be a soldier for Christ. One who stands strongly for Him. And we need to do that. Uh, to be an athlete for Christ. One who runs strenuously in the run for life for Christ. We need to do that. And to be a manager for Christ. One who faithfully oversees the affairs of life for Christ. We need to do that. And just think, this crown of righteousness makes us perfect before God because of and through Jesus Christ. All of that because of Him. And remember, this crown of righteousness will be given by the Lord Jesus Himself. And we can trust Him because He is the perfect judge. He is. Let me explain it this way. You know, you can hustle me till the cows come home. You can. Because you see, when I look at you, I'm going to look at the shell of your body. I'm going to look at your face. I'm going to look at your eyes. And you know what? Whatever you tell me, I'm just going to believe. Because if you lie to me, it's no sweat off my brow. Right? But let me tell you this. There's one that you cannot lie to. And that's Jesus Christ. And why is that? Because let me tell you this, he could care less about what you look like. He could care less you got alligator shoes on, a $1,000 money suit, a gold watch hanging across the three-piece suit, a $50 haircut. He really could care less about that. What he cares about is right here. What he cares is right here, your heart. You see, he sees your heart. I can't see your heart, but Jesus Christ can see your heart. Number five, we'll receive the crown of life. In James chapter 1, verse 12 says this, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those that love him. Jesus also goes a little bit farther in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Jesus says, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Even Jesus says it. If we're faithful to him, he will give it to us. Sounds pretty cool to me. I can believe it. So if we persevere in this life, two specific rewards will be given to us from James 1.12 and Revelation 2.10. And the first is what we talked about earlier, that we will be blessed. Remember, blessed means to have that inward joy and satisfaction. Having that inward joy and that satisfaction gives us the confidence that carries us through all the trials and temptations of life. No matter the pain, no matter the sorrow, and no matter the loss, Jesus will carry us through. Second, if you love and trust and faithful to Christ, you will be crowned with the eternal life, a life that never ends. Number six, number six, we will receive the crown of incorrupt, 
incorruption, the crown that will also last forever. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And verse 4 goes on, To an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. It's also reserved in heaven for us. A matter of fact, Paul goes one step farther in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, or 25, saying this, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it, and he's talking about Christians, he's talking about the Thessalonian believers, we do it for incorruptible crown. It's the difference. You see, as believers, we are to run a race to obtain an incorruptible crown. A crown that will never, ever perish. Remember the athletes. So in Paul's day, they ran for a wreath of leaves. And what did they do? They withered. They died. And the honor that they got, it swiftly ended. It faded away. However, the crown that Jesus Christ gives to us will never fade away. And we will have eternal honor and distinction with nothing on earth can compare with. Nothing. Number seven, we will receive the crown of rejoicing or soul winning. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20 says this, For what is our hope or glory or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For you are our glory and our joy. What is Paul saying here? Paul is acting like a very proud father, anticipating the joy of seeing his Thessalonian converts winning their rewards. I have to tell you that I could just I could do many, many messages just on this subject matter. But I'll save it for another time. Chaplain Don Gentis here tonight. I don't know, 20 years ago or so, he was my mentor as far as evangelism. We went out on EE evangelism explosion. What a what a what an experience. But Paul's clearly saying here that the Thessalonian believers here were his hope and his joy and his crown, which he would glory from. You see, this crown is given to those who faithfully are witnesses to the saving grace of God and leads souls to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, and hear it good, because it is the truth. We believers are in a spiritual battle against Satan for the souls of people. He wants them. He works hard for them. So should we. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, The thief, Satan, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I, Jesus, has come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Can I tell you when Jesus came? He did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people 
live. And that's us. We are dead in our sin without Jesus Christ. You see, Satan wants to kill us. Jesus wants to give us everlasting life. Come on, folks, it's a no-brainer, right? It's a no-brainer. Who do you choose? It's an easy choice. Easy choice. So here's the deal. Telling somebody about Jesus is the greatest thing that you and I can ever do for someone while we were here on earth. It's the greatest thing. It really, truly is. You see, when we help someone to be led to the Lord, we are being used as a vessel of God. Vessel of God. I know some of you don't have the gift of evangelism. I understand that. The Bible makes it clear that not everybody gets the same gift. But those of you that don't have the gift of evangelism, there are still things you can do. You can pray for those that do. You can give financially to our church and the mission and the missionaries. You can give to the Gideon ministry. God's word never returns void. It always completes what it, what it was sent out to be and do. However, though, some of you do have the gift of evangelism. And you don't use it because you're afraid. You're afraid. You're afraid of what? Failure. Failure. Well, can I tell you something? Get over your bad self. All right? Get over it. It's not our gig to seal the deal. It's the Holy Spirit's. The Bible makes it clear that we are to till the soil. We are to plant. And we are to water. God will give the increase. He will give it. He will give it. Yeah, but every once in a while we do get to pick some of that low hanging fruit, though, don't we? Oh, boy. That's kind of like a, you know, that's kind of, I know I'm running out of time here, but that's kind of like a golfer who has a good shot on the 18th hole. It makes him come back the next week to do it all over again. He's forgot about everything else. Number eight, we received the crown of glory. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 5 says this, And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd, and he's going to appear and reward all who have truly followed him and obeyed his holy word. This reward, reward is very astounding. It's to be a crown of glory. Well, what does that mean, a crown of glory? It means that we will share in the glory of heaven and be crowned with a very special crown. To be crowned here means to be given authority to rule, to reign, and to be entrusted with the assignment of a heavenly service for Christ. After all, we received the promise from Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, verse 23, when he said this, well done, good and faithful servant. We all know that, right? But a lot of times we just, boom, we stop right there. But the verse doesn't stop there. It says, you have been faithful over a few things. I, once again, Jesus, will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Yeah. You see, once you've been trusted by Jesus as your Savior and Lord, God adopts you as one of his sons and daughters. As a matter of fact, 
Romans 8, chapter 17 goes a little bit far, farther because it gives us a promise. And that promise is this, that we can be joint heirs. Joint heirs. That doesn't mean that we are equal with Christ, by the way. Let me make that clear. But we are a fellow heir with Jesus. What does that mean? It means that you and I will share Christ's inheritance with Him. And just what is our inheritance? I listed four. Let me quickly go over them. One, our inheritance will never perish. It'll never age. It'll never deteriorate. It will never die. Two, our inheritance will never spoil. It will never be polluted. It'll never be defiled. It'll never be dirtied. It'll never be infected. Three, our inheritance will never fade away. It will last forever and ever. Four, our inheritance is in heaven. We have a mansion or whatever translation you have, a dwelling reserved there. God is simply waiting for us to finish our task here on earth and come to Him when He calls us home. So there may be some of you saying, Harry, Harry I've been doing everything that I can and I just don't see anything to show for it. I feel like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Oh, he got a wall built but there wasn't much fruit. Well, let me share a story here with you to encourage you. A man by the name of Henry C. Morrison, after serving 40 years on the African mission field, he headed home on a boat. And on that very same boat rode a very famous person. His name was Theodore Roosevelt. And Morrison was quite dejected when on entering the New York Harbor, President Roosevelt received a great fanfare as he arrived home. Now, Morrison was flesh. He was human. And to be real honest with you, he thought probably the same thing that you and I have thought at one time or another. Morrison thought he should also get some recognition. After all, he spent 40 years of the Lord's service in Africa. Morrison said it was then, after he thought that thought, that he heard a small voice, and that voice said, Henry, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. You see, what we need to remember is this. What Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20 and 21, and let me paraphrase it for you, is this, is to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. For where our treasure is, so there will be our heart is. So I ask you tonight, where is your treasure? Where is it stored? Who has a mark on your heart? Who owns your heart? You see, the owner is the one who controls. So you ready to go to heaven? Yeah. Amen. I am. But if you're here tonight, or if you're watching online, and you don't know for certain that if you were to die tonight that you would go to heaven, I ask you right now, don't wait. Don't procrastinate. Don't wait till it's too late. You see, you can either accept Christ or you can reject Christ. And if we reject Christ in this life, he'll honor that choice. I ask you to ask Jesus Christ into your heart tonight. Confess your sins. For he is faithful and he is just to forgive. Let me tell you, we just came 
out of Resurrection Sunday? If God can roll a big, heavy stone away from a tomb, He can roll any stone that we have in our life away from it. Let's bow and pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this evening, and I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for your promises, Lord, that you have given us. How wonderful it is to know that there is more after this life as a believer. Lord, I just ask that if there is anyone here tonight or anyone watching that can't answer that question, where would they be tonight if they died? Where would they go? Lord, I would just ask them right now just to submit to you, commit their life to you by saying, Lord Jesus, save me. I'm lost. And without you, I have a destination that I don't want to go to. I ask you to bless each and every one that is here, each and every one that is watching. Give us a safe week, Lord. Bring us back to fellowship again. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.